All right, everyone, let's get it started for this week. Wildcat Formation Episode 2 coming to you live on a Friday afternoon. Villanova University 89.1 WXVU Radio being brought to you on Spotify. Hope you're all having a good start to your weekend. We have a packed show today. Tons of crazy stuff going on in the league. Zach Tipton coming to you later in the episode. First interview on the podcast. A lot of great stuff for you guys today. Doug Peterson. Going to be talking about him later. So, we did it. We got the People's Super Bowl. We got the one that we everyone wanted. Bengals, Rams, uh, two very likable teams, two very likable quarterbacks. Um, Joe Burrow, injury, comes back. Might be one of the coolest guys in America. Um, the glasses, the cigars, everything. Really likable cockiness, but still just comes across as very approachable, very kind, polite, interviewee. Matthew Stafford, feeling so bad for him for a decade, comes over, instantly starts to win. They went all in. The Rams went all in, and they did it for real, and it actually worked. And this might be a time where we can say, you know, oh, they're overpaying for all these people. They're giving up all this. Well, you can't overpay for a Super Bowl, so we're going to see how that plays out. I am super excited. This is a quarterback's league. This is an offense league. This two high-powered, explosive octane offenses. Really looking forward to it. Second consecutive home game Super Bowl. Bucks last year at Raymond James. This year, Rams at SoFi. God, that's a beautiful stadium. This is going to be a good one. Two great quarterbacks. Two very similar teams. Two great quarterbacks. Two great receiving cores with receivers with different skills. And let's not take credit away from Bengals defense. Logan Wilson has made a huge step. We, have, we we talked about him a lot earlier in the year. I really like him. Really explosive. Really good eye. Trey Hendrickson might have been the best signing. The most un, the highest value signing. He was someone that I really liked going into the signing period during the offseason. Let's not forget DJ Reader as well, who came who's come up really big in the playoffs. He's been able to put a lot of pressure on every single quarterback he's gone up against. Derek Carr, Ryan Tinhill, Patrick Mahomes. And I think that probably one of the most underrated units in the entire NFL, pre-playoffs, everything, has to be the Bengals secondary. You know, Jesse Bates, Eli Apple with a Wouzier down there as well. Mike Hilton, solid from top to bottom. Incredibly productive, can take away weapons situationally at least. Not in terms of yardage, not all the time, because you know Tyree Kill is hard to guard, but situationally they have a very good understanding of what needs to get done in certain formation. It's very, it's very Jordan Poyer, Micah High, Tredavious White-esque. Um, a lot of similarities there in terms of physical characteristics. This is gonna be a really good one. I think the biggest X factor is going to be the Rams pass rush first, which is very strong, uh, very veteran heavy, especially now with Von Miller at the helm. And then also it's going to be them going up against the Bengals O-line, which is very weak. It was weak for the regular season. It was easily the weakest in the playoffs. That's going to be the biggest X factor. But I think that, you know, my prediction is that I still think Matthew Stafford tends to be a little bit mistake prone from time to time. And I think that the Bengals secondary is going to pick him off at least once. My prediction is probably twice and think that they're going to get 
points when necessary because we know that with Evan McPherson, the Bengals do like, they like to kick the field goal because they trust him. They don't like to go for it in fourth down that often, even though they do have Joe Burrow. And so I think that this game is going to come down. I don't think it's going to be a particularly high scoring or low scoring game. I think I'll, t- I'll get to my score prediction in a second, but what I think is going to happen is I think that this is going to come down to get a handful of really important second half analytics calls by Sean McVay. I think that's going to be the biggest factor here. I think that Matthew Stafford gets hot early. I think that at least once in each half, he's going to have a really bad judgment play that's going to be caused by the Bengals secondary. I do think that Joe Burrow feels relatively comfortable. Um, I think that they make use of people like Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins more, more, who are more slot-oriented. Um, get the ball down the field quickly. No pressure to get a touchdown on every single play. There's going to be a big stop at the end. So my prediction is going to be Bengals winning the Super Bowl 24-20. I think Evan McPherson is going to be a big part in in terms of decision-making for Zach Taylor. And eventually, I think McVay is going to use the analytics and it's going to bite him back later in the game, the Bengals will just simply have more points on the board by the end of it. It's two amazing stories. Stories drive this league. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, don't confuse a great team with a great story. The two best stories that were left in the playoffs come the divisional round are in the Super Bowl. Are they the two best teams? Maybe not. But it's the two best stories. It's the people's Super Bowl. It's what we all wanted. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be really, it's going to be a really good night. So Tom Brady retired, um, which feels surreal to say, even though we all kind of were bracing for it for like two or three years now, there are many great things in sports that don't really make sense. The late Kobe Bryant dropping 16 his last game, the poeticness of that to this day kind of feels unreal. Serena Williams' dominance in women's tennis um, while going through a lot of the physical, you know, collaterals of pregnancy is so unbelievably inspiring and just hard to explain. And it's incredible to watch the sustainability of LeBron James and how he is this dominant and this influential at this age with this many bright and athletic and talented young players in the league, the fact that he gets to still be at the top is tremendous and something that you can't really just analyze as an event. I can't explain Tom Brady to you. I I can explain Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson being taken in the third round, fourth round, and becoming, you know, high-caliber starters in the NFL. I can explain to you why Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow have great chemistry today, post-LSU. I can explain why Peyton Manning's intellectual innovation of the game, where we have multiple play sets and go up to the line with a thousand audibles in terms of taking different pieces from different systems and just combining it into this one kind of beautiful just method of the sport. I can explain those things to you. I can't explain 
a skinny kid from the West Coast who goes to Michigan who gets picked in the sixth round and then wins seven Super Bowls. I can't explain that to anyone. That level of just exceeded expectations is so unreal where Brady is one of the few athletes, and if not the only athlete, where nobody gets credit for Brady except Brady, right? Like, Josh Allen's great. Brian Dable definitely helps. Patrick Mahomes is great. Andy Reid definitely helps. And there are certain players who just kind of wind up to be lucky to get in certain situations and land with certain people and have certain teammates. Brady's accolades and his pedigree are so hysterically great that nobody gets credit for him. Like, whoever drafted him, they don't get credit for Tom Brady. Tom Brady gets credit for Tom Brady. That's like the same thing with LeBron James. LeBron James is great because of LeBron James. Nobody gets credit for LeBron James except for LeBron James. Like, Jordan had great coaches at every level of his playing time and had great teammates. LeBron James has single-handedly carried middle-of-the-road teams to the finals. LeBron James gets credit for LeBron James. Tom Brady gets credit for Tom Brady. The sustainability is frightening in terms of how he preserves himself, his character, his ethos, his ethic, his brand. I would go as far to say that Brady, especially in the last you know, five, seven years of his career never real, despite his age, never really felt like an old school quarterback in the same way that Big Ben did, who also retired, or Phillip Rivers. They kind of feel like old school quarterbacks and their age kind of catalyzes that. Brady doesn't feel like an old school quarterback. He doesn't even feel like a new school quarterback, really despite all the influence that he's going to have for the years to come on these younger guys that we have now in the league, he's Tom Brady. And there's just no other way to put it. That's the only kind of way that you could describe him. I know that people say that a lot of his success has to do with landing with Belichick. A lot of that can be disproved by his time in Tampa. But what a lot of people also say is that Brady's success had a lot to do with how he spent 20 years in the AFC East, which for a while was consisted of the dysfunctional Buffalo Bills, the dysfunctional Miami Dolphins, and the dysfunctional New York Jets. And I understand that. What I will say to that is that dysfunction, you being surrounded by dysfunction, does not get you seven Super Bowls. It might get you one, maybe two. It does not get you seven, or in that case, six. Aaron Rodgers has been in a division with the awful Detroit Lions, who can never get their act together despite their talent, and the Chicago Bears, who for the life of everyone 
cannot get the quarterback right, cannot find an actual franchise quarterback, his accolade sheet will never reach Tom Brady. Ever. So I don't really see that as an argument. I understand how it could help him with one and maybe how it could help him feel more comfortable with being in home playoff games. But that's not going to get you six Super Bowls. Dysfunction in other franchises in your division cannot get you that much. And he retired the right way. He rode off into the sunset gracefully, fresh off of an MVP season, at the peak of his game, still amazing, still himself. I think it was the right thing to do. Because the thing is that his retirement was this perfect middle ground of expected and unexpected. It didn't shock the world. Like we, we all kind of saw it coming. But it wasn't like Big Ben or Philip Rivers where it was kind of depressingly looking us in the face for a year or two or three. And it wasn't like Aaron Rodgers where we don't know what the hell's going to happen or at least we do with Brady, but not in a way that's salty and sporadic. That was the perfect way for him to go. I really do think so. And let's be clear, he's retiring from football. He is not dead. He's going to be around. He's going to be an amazing businessman. He's going to be an amazing father. He's going to be around the football universe and within it in ways that are not on the turf. So... Congratulations on one of the best athletic careers ever. 22 amazing years. Good luck with everything. You will be missed. Thank you, Tom, for everything. So Brian Flores is suing the NFL class action lawsuit along with the Dolphins and the Giants and Broncos for racial discrimination as well as just other other completely ludicrous notions of being offered money to intentionally lose games where firing him would have likely made sense or at least more sense than it did to fire him this time around if it made sense at all to some people where statistically black coaches are less likely to get a second chance at being a head coach in the NFL. I understand that I am a voice of someone who does not look like Brian Flores. I can never experience the things that Brian Flores is experiencing right now or has experienced. What I will say is that I agree with him that the change that would come from winning something like this would be worth sacrificing not having the ability to coach again. He was asked, well, who are you doing this for? Like, what was the final straw? And he said his kids, because he doesn't want his kids to look at the situation 20 years from now and have to go through the same thing, which is so selfless. I I, I don't really, I, I, I'm, I really don't, I really don't view this as him doing this for himself. I really do view this as him doing this for a more collective cause. For for him, for his family, for Eric Bieniemy, for Jim Caldwell, for Byron Leftwich, and 
anyone else who might come down the line to set a new standard and to kind of make this for the first time really ugly and explicit because that's kind of what's needed. And I think that's what he wants to emphasize because this is ugly, especially having to do with the Dolphins. This is really ugly. Right now, at this point in time, with only the Saints, Dolphins, and Texans job being available, we currently have one black head coach in the NFL, Mike Tomlin. Now, I do, it, it is important to acknowledge the credit that is deserved of the two new young black general managers that were that have been hired recently, the Chicago Bears with Ryan Poles and the Vikings with Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. And I think that the continuation of young black men in general manager positions can be a good stepping point to kickstarting more representation in these kinds of prominent coaching positions because the Rooney rule has to be modified. It has to be shifted. It's incredibly hollow. It doesn't actually do anything because if you're if you're interviewing just two, that's the bare minimum. And if you're doing the bare minimum, you're probably not in the position where you wanted to do it in the first place. And people have to do better. Because let, let, let's look, right? Let's look at someone like Eric Bieniemy, who is incredibly talented and has been interviewed. Um, and the rumors about him being a bad interviewee have been false because multiple GMs have come out and said he is not, particularly with the Broncos. But Doug Peterson was a non-play-calling OC for Indy Reid and got a job. And... Matt Nagy was a non-play-calling OC for Andy Reid and got a job. Eric Bieniemy is a non-play-calling OC for Andy Reid and has not gotten a job. It is humiliating. It is unfortunate that Josh McCown, who has never coached, is getting more active consideration for the Texans' job than Eric Bieniemy. I am very anxious to see what comes out of this lawsuit. I really hope that there are serious discussions about these kinds of things. I hope that accountability is emphasized. And I hope that the nature of the Rooney rule and the kinds of cheap stuff that comes of it is addressed explicitly. The NFL has to do better. So Doug Peterson was hired as the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you remember from last week's episode, it's who I said I would have hired. I think that Leftwich was a good hire. I understand him not wanting the job if they're not going to move off of Trent Baalke. That was the specific parameters that he gave. They wouldn't abide. They were going to go with Adrian Wilson. Turns out that wasn't the case anymore. Leftwich backed out. I don't blame him. I would be on the phone with him tomorrow if I were the Saints. I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities, whether this year, next year, wherever, whenever, he's going to get some good chances, and he's going to land somewhere. I truly believe that. This is good for Trevor Lawrence because, like I said, he is way too generational for people to be getting experimental. 
don't go out there and hire someone who blows you away in an interview in a, in a really niche sense. Don't go out there and get someone who's under the age of 35. Get someone with a track record of experience and a track record of winning who can set a tone and set a culture. Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl. He's worked with Wentz. He's worked with Hurts a little bit too. I really like the hire. I would be excited if I were a Jaguars fan. Um, I think that Lawrence is now going to get the opportunity to learn under someone who is a real adult, is just a no-nonsense guy who can hold everyone accountable, but at the same time be very approachable, honest, and interpersonal, and someone who can encourage development. Because Lawrence is the most exciting piece of that team. I think Peterson took the job because of that exact reason, of how generational he is. So I like the hire. I think it's probably the best best pending what other the other three remaining teams do i think it's probably the best hire of the offseason in terms of head coaching positions i'm really excited to see what happens good job in the jaguars good step in the right direction we're going to come to you now with uh zach tipton uh vikings specialist uh member of the sports writer staff for uh the villanovan um very talented the zach thanks for uh being on the show so so you're a Vikings guy. I really like the Kevin O'Connell hiring. I think it's really reflective of the trends of the league. Um, we're kind of seeing now the development of the the McVay head coaching tree with himself and LaFleur, uh, Zach Taylor, Brandon Staley, you know, and now O'Connell. Um, do you like the hire? Talk to me about any of the similarities between you see between all of the guys I just mentioned and how you think those traits will help the Vikings. What do you see? Why Why do you think that they chose him over Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, so O'Connell, I love the hire. Um, I knew, I didn't really like the Jim Harbaugh hire singly because of the fact that um, Jim Harbaugh was kind of causing a divide in our organization. Um, I think the GM wanted him, but I don't think the owners did. And I just, I didn't want that divide in the organization. So I'm really glad they went this way with O'Connell because O'Connell, from what I've seen with him in the Rams, is has full offensive traits. Like he does everything for that offense besides play calling. Sean McVay obviously does the play calling, but he does do full everything else. He makes the game plans and I think I see that with combined with a lot of the other offense coordinators that have come from that Sean McVay tree. And he also is that young guy, that 36-year-old. He's the second youngest co head coach in Vikings history. Um, and I think we needed to go a new way without a team because uh, as Zimmer came out, um, he was an old guy, an old defensive-minded coach, really wanted to run that ball and play defense. That was his strategy. This Kevin O'Connell hiring... I'm really excited about just because it's a more young blood guy with an offensive minded to really handle that Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, possibly Kirk Cousins if we don't trade him away, Dalvin Cook, and just kind of getting that whole offense working. And if he hires that right defensive coordinator, I think this is going to be a great hire. I'm really excited to see what this team does. We don't know really what the deal with Aaron is right now, whether it's Denver or whether it's somewhere else. Um, Justin Fields has a lot, a long way to go. So does the O-line. They need more offensive weapons. Although I do, I do like Luke Getze as an OC. I think that was mm -hmm. a really good hire. 
Um, we'll see how that goes. And then the Lions are in a good spot culturally, but I don't really think that they have the defensive pieces really to kind of go for a playoff push. Describe to me in the context of the entire NFC North what a best case and a worst case scenario would look like for the Vikings moving forward. I think the best case scenario right now is that... um Aaron Rodgers, of course, leaves um, the NFC. That would be a best-case scenario just because you get him out of that division. He is the king dog of this division, and he has been for a while. As much as I hate to say it and how much I I respect Aaron Rodgers, um, but I think think if you get him out of there, he will be – it will be held with the Vikings a lot. And then also – um, with the rest of the teams, uh, the Bears just hired a brand new uh, QB coach in uh, Andrew Janoko, who was the former Vikings QB coach, who I really liked in Minnesota, and so I'm a little upset to see him go, especially to a division rival like the Bears. And then the Lions, I actually don't think defense is their issue. I, I like what they have on their defensive pieces. I like their offensive line. The only thing they don't have is they don't have a QB, and they don't have wide receivers. Um... Monroe St. Brown's fantastic, but they don't have anyone behind him. And Jared Goff is not going to be a franchise leader with that team. So I think I like what they're going with their, where they're going on defense. They might need a couple more pieces, but that I like where they're going there. Um, but yeah, right now the best case scenario for the Vikings in the NFC North is Aaron Rodgers leaving and Matt Eberflus, that defense coordinator hire, not panning out well be, for not hiring their OC. And that's going to be the thing. That's the only best-case scenario is Jay Fields ends up becoming a bust, which I kind of predicted before the draft, but we'll see how that goes. Do you like the Luke Getze hire? Um, I'm not too familiar with Luke Getze, but um, from what I've heard, I, I think it's a good hire for them in OC. But, you know, they need somebody that can develop a QB. And... This that's exactly what this team you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. The Bears haven't been able to develop a QB for the life of them, and I think that that they just need somebody to do it. And hopefully, Fields is the guy for them because they're in for a long three years if he isn't. So I feel content with. Brady retiring. I don't really feel like it came out of nowhere, but I also didn't feel like it was like staring us in the face like other quarterbacks who have retired kind of in the past three, five years. It was a good moment. I thought we all knew about Brady and the person, the player, but I want to talk about Brady as a figure. What do you think will be most felt across the league by his absence? Like, how do you think his ethos and his character will impact the NFL going forward in, in terms of what's left of of him despite not actually playing, and especially in a league now where the young quarterback talent is so ample and so just scattered all over the place. What, what do you think about him leaving? Oh, absolutely. And I think you're seeing this whole young generation of QBs come up in Mahomes and Allen, and Brady was one of the last of that older generation that was just there and consistently being good. Him and Rodgers, um, and Mad Ryan to an extent, he's starting to fall down there, but to an extent, those two are really there, that generation's last 
chances. And so the fact that Brady Lee is leaving, you're gonna I think you're gonna see a lot more younger generation QBs come up because there's not a lot of left for old G QBs. But I do think you're also getting to the point where you're seeing a lot more mobile QBs. And that was the one thing Tom wasn't. Tom was not a mobile QB. He was a guy that sat in the pocket, made great throws, made some of the best throws in history. And you just sat there and you watched him behind this amazing old line that he's had for his almost entire career. And he kind of just was able to really move around and not really move around much. But you see with these new generation, everyone can move. Everyone can scramble. Everyone can run. And I think that's what we're going to be missing. We're going to be missing a lot of those pocket passers. I mean, you see that, I guess, in Kirk Cousins. He's a pocket passer. You see that in... I mean, even Aaron Rodgers can move around and get around the pocket well, but he is another guy that can just sit behind his own line and make amazing throws. You, But you really don't have a lot of that. So I think that's going to be missed for a standpoint. But I also think what's going to be missed about Tom Brady most is a lot of people are making jokes, you know, like he's finally gone, his terror of the league is over. But you're going to start missing him into the point because he's not going to, you aren't going to see his face and be like, man, this guy's going to make the playoffs every single year. That was him. He was going to, you knew he'd be in the playoffs. You knew he'd be there. And he's just been so good for so long that people started to really dislike him because he was so good for so long. But he's going to be missed. And even if people don't want to admit it, he'll be missed. There's a lot about the Brian Flores accusational stuff outside of race that is absurd. <laughs> Offering money to lose game things. I don't even really know how to I, I still don't really know how to process that or Approach that I don't know how to fix the reading rule other than just making teams be required to hire people Which obviously you can't do um I think that we could all agree that the class action suit is justified mm -hmm. but do you think you think that this was more sporadic or do you think that this was something that was more so building up? Do you see oh. any changes with the Rooney rule that could be made or any additional protocols or any specific necessary events that would be productive? How do you view yeah. this whole thing collectively? Okay, so here's how I view this. Um, Here's how I view this. This was not a last draw situation. This has been building up for a while because you see a lot of black coaches not getting a chance. And when they do get a chance, they don't get a big chance. You see David Coley, 4-13, and 13, more wins than probably they were expecting the Texans to have, fired first year. I didn't like the hire to begin with, but it doesn't mean that he didn't deserve another chance to go. Vance Joseph, he got fired relatively early into his career. Um, Wilkes is it Wilkes the guy that was the Cardinals coach from a few years from a few years ago that got fired in his first year, um, um, and then I think you're seeing this where you've seen a lot of coaches not get hired. Eric Bieniemy is probably the biggest name. I was certain the Vikings were going to hire him before the seasons before this coaching started because of the fact that he's had Minnesota roots. And he's one of the best coaches, I think, that is still on the market. And the fact that the Vikings didn't even offer him an interview is insane to me. I think also Byron Leftwich should have a job. He'll probably end up getting one by the, end of the, by the end of this term, in my opinion. But I think this has been building up for a very long time. 
Now, with the Rooney rule, the thing that's going to be hard to change about it is it's going to be have to be voted on by the people who run this league, which is the owners. And the owners, there are 31 white owners, 30 white owners, I should say. Packers technically don't have an owner. And Shag, Shag Khan of the Jaguars is the only non-white owner. Um, so in my opinion, it's going to be very hard to make a ton of changes unless they are like forced to, which I don't know how that works. I don't know how ownership works. All I know is Roger Goodell's bosses are the owners. Roger Goodell can't just go make a decision. The owners have to approve that decision. And there are 30, like I said, 30 white owners. And that's just insane. And it's not going to change for a while because, I mean, if you look at the Broncos who are selling their franchise, the Bullens are finally selling their franchise, they're asking $4 billion for that franchise. And I think you're looking at a group, I don't know, it's almost in this market where you have to be a rich white guy in order to buy a team. And I just, I don't see this changing. And so it's going to be hard for a lot of movement to be on. But if we want to talk about paying to lose games, that was the uh, tank for Tua year, I'm pretty sure is the year they were talking about, um, which they got Tua. They got him in the fourth pick. But the fact that the, the owners and the GM were getting mad at him for winning games is insane to me because that's just, that's what you pay to do as a coach. You pay to win. But, I mean, of course, he's being paid to lose. But... It just, it, it, what's, and $100,000 is nothing for owners. Like, that's so easy to pay. And the Rooney rule, another thing about that is, I think there, it's a very small fine for not, for failing to complete the Rooney rule. And it's a very small fine, which owners, which owners can pay literally so easily. So I just, it's hard to say what happens. In my opinion, there should be a percentage of, uh, in my opinion, there should be a percentage of candidates that are minority candidates. I think it shouldn't be one or two. It should be like 30% or 35% of your candidates have to be of minority. Have to be of minority. Because I think that would help a lot. That gets a lot more names in the door for them. Um, if you're hiring, if you have 12 candidates, and that's basically four four black coaches four black coaches you're hiring, which is better than the one or two, and so I think that's an that's an option. But again, I don't know exactly how this works or what they're gonna do. But I that's the, that's the best I can see. How important do you think the voice of the players are, it's, and especially white players? Because this is this is a league that's like eighty. That's you know seventy to eighty percent of this league is black men and often when people when people in that group speak out about these kinds of things it's much easier for people of older stature that kind of out of touch to kind of just write them off how important do you think the voice of the players is in this situation the voice of the group of players is way is incredible but you can't just put one guy onto this thing. We saw this with Colin Kaepernick. One guy making taking a chance and ended up ending his career, basically. So, you got to have a group of people, but I think a group of players that say, and say we're not going to play, especially if they're the top players, say, we're not going to play unless you change this or this gets fixed. That, to me, is the 
best case is probably the best case scenario. Um, but I mean, they can't be guys that are bench guys or guys that don't get a lot of playing time or aren't that good or are replaceable. They got to be guys that are fra- are franchise faces, and that's gonna be the only way it's possible. Doug Peterson, Jacksonville Jaguars, Super Bowl head coach, generational young quarterback. They kind of have they're they're kind of a couple drafts away there if they they if they maintain on to that to that couple. How how do you like the hire? You know, I do like the hire. The only thing I don't like is I think there's a big mess in this. I think there's a big mess in Jacksonville right now. And I think the mess isn't coaching. It's not Doug Peterson. The mess is in the GM room. And Trent Baalke is to me, not a great GM. I don't consider him a good GM. I think Adrian Wilson would have been a great hire here. And for me, I'm looking at a guy, Trent Baalke, who to me is about to get a boss. Because from what I'm seeing, Rick Spielman, who was the former Vikings GM, is looking like he's going to get hired as the uh, vice president of operations, I think it is, or the president or something, something like that. He's going to get hired there, which would make him Balky's boss, which would make him able to do a lot more. And I think it's going to get kind of messy in Jacksonville, in my opinion. The question is, is does that affect the players on the field? Does that affect that? And I think it could. And whether or not Peterson is a great hire for this organization, what they need is they need the right players in this organization because that defense is bad. Miles Jack is great, but that defense is bad. That offense, they have DJ Turk coming back, which is nice. They have Etienne, who I don't even know why they drafted him with James Robinson. But they have two great running backs in the backfield. They have DJ Chark. Laquan Treadwell kind of had a breakout season all of a sudden. I don't know where that came from. But they have some okay wide receivers. They probably need like one more piece. But that offense is needs a few more pieces on that O-line and wide receiving core. It's just I don't see how this is going to work out good for them if they can't get their uh, manage front front office management situation worked out correctly, and I think it's getting a little messy. So that's my opinion. Um, I like the hire, but I just I don't know if it's going to be enough to fix what this organization is going through. Great stuff, Zach. We love having you on the show. Thanks for being on here today. That's going to do it for us, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Wildcat Formation. We will be back next week with more NFL news and takes. You take care of your... Villanova Radio, WXVU.